for being here this morning is to worship God and to worship him in spirit and in truth and that everything that we do is with the authority or in the name of Jesus and according to the pattern that we find in the New Testament. And if you participate, observe in any, anything that we do this morning that you don't find in the New Testament, you would be our friend if you would come and let us know. So please, worship with us. Let's hope that we have divorced from our minds thoughts of this world so that we can focus on the will of God and the worship of God as we uh, begin our worship. The uh, bulletin that we have, what's that called? Update. Update uh, has um, several names in it mentioned uh, concerning the sick and those undergoing uh, trying circumstances. Please avail yourself of that. It's on the table right outside the door. And also, uh, David will have some announcements uh, before we close today concerning some of those. Before we begin uh, and, and have a word of prayer, I want to read from Hebrews, the second chapter. Chris is uh, doing a series uh, on the book of Hebrews, and this uh, first four verses of chapter 2 uh, sets up um, an awareness, I think, that all of us need to be uh, cognizant of. Hebrews 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing witness with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, be with us this morning as we worship you. We pray, Father, that each of our intent was that, is this morning that we have come to worship you and do everything we can to honor and glorify you by our time spent here and the things that we say and do. We pray, Father, that you be with those who are not able to be with us, whatever the reason might be, that things can be done, that they can return to us and be with us on a regular basis once again. We pray, Father, for this church, this congregation, that we might be one of your churches that you love and approve of. We pray, Father, that as, as we operate in this community, that we will always exemplify the, the characteristics of Christ and the teachings that we find within the Bible for what your congregation should do, be and do. We ask, Father, that you be with us as we live our lives from day to day, that we do everything we can to avoid sin and follow your will. Forgive us, Father, of any sins that are charged against us at this time as we repent. We're thankful for your son, his love for us, that he was willing to die for us on the cross so that we can live eternally with you and him and all others who are saved. We ask this prayer in his name. If you would, everyone grab a songbook again this morning, and we'll turn to hymn number 25. 
Start with hymn number 25. All things praise thee. If you would, please stand at this time. Turn me back on. Please stand at this time. I need a little more. All things praise thee, Lord most high, heaven, earth, and sea, and sky, all were for thy glory made, that thy greatness last display, should all worship greater thee, all things praise Next hymn this morning, number 261, I Am Thine, O Lord. We'll sing the first three verses, and Brother Dwight Dunford will have our scripture reading and prayer. 261. Thank you. 
Today's Bible reading is from Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 through 3. Deuteronomy 32, 1 through 3. Give ears, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teachings drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will pr proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful this day that we can be together as a family of believers in your church, Lord, that we may worship you in truth and in spirit, that we may give you the glory. We pray, Lord, that everything we say and do here today is in the court in accordance with thy will. Lord, we pray that you forgive us when we fail you and help us, Lord, to be better each day in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for, for this church, for those that oversee the church, and what the church means to our community. We pray that we will be a shining example in our lives and everything that is done here. Lord, be with us today as we take communion and remember our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifices he made for us. Be with us in our singing that we glorify you in, in song. And be with Chris as he delivers the message today, Lord, that our hearts may be touched and encouraged and that we may be better Christians in our, in our daily life. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you do, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 622. 622, tell me the story of Jesus. <clears throat> we'll sing all three verses. Tell me the story of Jesus.
Sorry about that. It's hard to have the Lord's Supper if you don't bring the materials. We'll be reading this morning here in just a few minutes from Daniel chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there. <clears throat> but to give some, some background for the thoughts I want us to, to kind of think about this morning. Um, today we live in a very, a very tumultuous time. We have... Things are always in disarray. The politics of the day are, are noisy. I happen to be a little closer to that than others sometimes, and believe me, they're a little noisier as you do get closer. Um, but what is interesting to me as we look at the world and look at the history of the world is our perspective, our perspective on the events of the day. And, you know, really, it's always been tumultuous, whether it was now 20 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified on the cross. It was a very tumultuous time. And our perspective of that um, today is much different than those who were there at the time. And not only that, where I want to take us to is God, in his amazing way of doing things, um, actually foretold of that tumultuous time hundreds of years before. And I would like to uh, read from Daniel chapter 2, um, which is the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a king of Babylon, and this is when the children of Israel had been taken captive. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were one of the most powerful nations in the world at the time. 
another tumultuous time. Um, however, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, who seems like he was one of God's favorite kings to interact with, I guess, had, had a really interesting um, dream that foretells of what is coming. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. We'll read a few verses here. This is where Daniel has been called in to interpret a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had. Nebuchadnezzar had often many dreams, and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was the same guy who did uh, with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was not an easy, an easy guy to uh, please, and if you didn't please him, he'd just kill you. Um, he, was, he was a tough king. So Daniel has been called in to interpret this dream because all of the other wise men in the uh, kingdom couldn't do it. So Daniel is standing and about ready to talk to this king that if he doesn't give the right answer, you know, he's, he's looking at a very difficult um, uh, situation. So anyway, Daniel says, You, O king, were watching as a great statue, one of impressive size and extraordinary brightness was standing before you. Its appearance caused alarm. As for that statue, its head was of fine gold, its chest and arms were of silver, its belly and thighs were of bronze, its legs were of iron, its feet were partly of iron and partly of clay. You were watching as a stone was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its iron and clay feet, breaking them in pieces. Then the iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold were broken in pieces without distinction and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors that the wind carries away. Not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a large mountain that filled the entire earth. This was the dream. Now we will set forth before the king its interpretation. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has granted you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. Wherever human beings, wild animals, and birds of the sky live, he has given them into your power. He has given you authority over them all. You are the head of gold. Now after you, another kingdom will arise, one inferior to yours. Then a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, one strong like iron. Just like iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and as iron breaks in pieces all of these metals, so it will break in pieces and crush the others. In that you were seeing feet and toes partly of wet clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Some of the strength of iron will be in it, for you saw iron mixed with wet clay. In that the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, the latter stages of this kingdom will be partly strong and partly fragile. And in that you saw iron mixed with wet clay, so people will be mixed with one another without adhering to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will raise up an everlasting kingdom that will not be destroyed and a kingdom that will not be left to another people. It will break in pieces and bring about the demise of all, the king, all these kingdoms, but it will stand forever. You saw that a stone was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It smashed the iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold into pieces. The great God has made known to the king what will occur in the future. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is reliable. What Daniel is speaking of to Nebuchadnezzar seven or eight hundred years prior to Jesus coming is the establishment of God's kingdom here on earth. So to Nebuchadnezzar, it really didn't make sense. I mean, even though the dream was interpreted, did it really make sense to him because it hadn't happened yet? 
And then as we go forward, I'd like to read, um, if I can get my phone to work here. If I can see my phone. I'd like to pull up to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 19. This is after Jesus has been crucified on the cross and after he has been raised from the dead, the day that he was raised from the dead. Verse 20, or I'm sorry, verse 19 of John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together and locked the doors of the, of the place because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. Verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the wounds from the nails in his hands and put my finger into the wounds from the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe it. Eight days later, the disciples were again together in the house. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and examine my hands. Extend your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue in your unbelief, but believe. Thomas replied to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are the people who have not seen and yet have believed. That's where we find ourselves. We weren't there, obviously, when Nebuchadnezzar was told about what was coming. We weren't there when Jesus was crucified or in the room with the apostles. But yet here we are thousands of years later, remembering that sacrifice that changed everything. The sacrifice that where Jesus sent his son to die on the cross and be risen again. And that's what we remember today with this bread and this fruit of the vine. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and be together. We thank you for this memorial that you have given to us that we may remember what you have done for us and that we may believe and that we may uh, be a part of this communion with one another and in remembrance of your son. We thank you for this bread that we are about to partake and we pray that you'll bless it and that we'll do so in according to your word. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Dear Lord, again we come. We thank you for the blood that Jesus shed, the blood that cleanses our soul, Lord, and gives us everlasting life. We thank you for this opportunity that we can come and take it freely, and we pray that we do so according to your will. We pray that you'll bless it to us, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.
At this time, we want to um, say a prayer for our blessing, and we want to kind of, or pray, say a prayer for our offering, pardon me. And um, I would like to read uh, one of my favorite chapters when it talks about God and, and giving and offerings is Malachi chapter 3. It's kind of an Old Testament theme today, sorry about that. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. God says, bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my temple. Test me in this matter, says the Lord, who rules over all, to see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no room for it all. Then I will stop the plague from ruining your crops, and the vine will not lose its fruit before harvest, says the Lord, who rules over all. All nations will call you happy, for you indeed will live, a delightful land, live in a delightful land, says the Lord, who rules over all. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you again for all the blessings you give to us. We thank you for each and everything you give to us, whether we recognize it, and, and uh, we just thank you so much for all the ways you take care of us. We pray that you will bless this offering that is given today, that you will give wisdom to those who are deciding its priorities, Lord, and we pray that your hand will be upon them. We pray that you will forgive us when we do fall short, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. So I'll please stand at this time. We'll sing hymn number 213. 213, he gave me a song. And it's at this time that the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. He took my burdens all away.
you. The invitation here this morning, number 336. 336 is it for me. This time, Brother Chris. Good morning. Good to see each one of you with us this morning. Uh, remind you that tonight is our third Sunday singing. So uh, come back tonight and uh, write down your favorite songs on the board behind you and the foyer out there. And uh, we'll get to all those songs tonight, hopefully. Uh, that's always a uplifting time uh, for us to get together and sing praises to God. So we want you to be a part of that if you can. Uh, also, uh, my mom moved in with us last night, so if you saw a moving truck in uh, my yard, it is hers, not mine. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. We're very, very happy. And so uh, she's just moved in with us. Uh, be turning to Hebrews, book of Hebrews. We are in our second installment of this series. We're still in chapter 1. Hebrews is an incredibly rich book. Uh, when we plunge, if we can plunge the depths of this book, uh, I hope that it will uplift you. Uh, its goal, the Hebrew writer's desire, the reason he writes this book is to make you fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. He's writing to a people who are who have been put through the ringer. Uh, these are, we think, Jewish Christians. They are no longer Jews. They're, they're, they're Jewish by heritage, by nationality, but they no longer adhere to Judaism. They don't see any power in the Old Covenant, in the, Moses, in the Mosaical Law. The, the power from that law is gone, and they understand that that has always been pointing toward Jesus the Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth. And so they are convinced of that. But by the time this book is written in 65 AD, and the Jewish friends, their Jewish friends and family are making it very difficult for them to stay in the faith. Uh, they are uh, ostracizing them. They're shunning them. They're hurting them in any ways that they can. And now, very quickly, coming up after Hebrews is written, um, the Romans are going to begin persecuting Christians in an even more sadistic fashion. And so, the Hebrew writer is saying, is following Jesus worth it? Is it worth it? Because these people have made some pretty incredible sacrifices to date for Christ. And those sacrifices are only going to intensify from here on out. We're in a very similar situation, aren't we? You've made some sacrifices for Christ. You're here today. You've made some sacrifices for Christ. If you've been inside of Christ for any amount of time, you've made some sacrifices for Him. Those sacrifices, as our culture drifts away from God... Those sacrifices you're going to be forced to make are going to intensify. They may not reach the level that the Hebrews are going to encounter in the book of Hebrews. Maybe we won't have to shed blood, uh, won't have to be faithful all the way till death, uh, at least uh, having folks uh, come at us for our faith yet. They haven't gotten there yet, but they're going to get there. And so the Hebrew writer writes this book in an effort to make them fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. His question, or their question, he answers, Is following Jesus worth it? Yes. Whatever you have to give up to follow Him, whatever you have to give up to be close to Him, it's worth it. Give up everything in an effort to stay close to Him. Last week, in the first three verses of Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, we talked about how He is God. Uh, 
Uh, he is 100% God, no doubt about it. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the radiance of God's glory. He is 100% God. We talked about how he has two jobs uh, in Hebrews 1. He is the priest and he's the king. He rules. Uh, he is completely sovereign, 100% in charge, but he is also the one who's made purification for our sins. Now, in, chapter, in the rest of chapter 1, the Hebrew writer is going to do something that we might not be so familiar with. He's going to encounter a situation that his readers uh, or his listeners have come in contact with that we're not all that familiar with. There seems to be something going on in the first century where perhaps uh, Christians were tempted to worship angels or they were tempted to think more highly of angels than angels ought to be thought of. And you see that in the book of Colossians. Some of those folks were, were worshiping angels. And Paul there says, you know, obviously don't do that. I think something else is going on here in the book of Hebrews. Uh, this is why we do the background study. Uh, and this is why we talk about this each week to remind ourselves what's going on. These people are undergoing some incredible persecution because they're Christians, but even more so because they left Judaism to come to Christianity. And so their Jewish friends and their Jewish family members are really turning up the heat on them. And so um, a compromise, if, if the... If the Jewish Christians here that the Hebrew writer is talking to, if they can find some way to, to compromise, to just take off a little bit of the heat, um, that, that's probably what they're going to do. And so I think what has happened here is someone has come up with this idea in the first century that perhaps Jesus was just an angel. Maybe he wasn't God. Maybe he was just a, a messenger. You see the pre-incarnate Christ. It's a $10 word, but it, it means the way Jesus was before the incarnation, before he was Emmanuel, Emmanuel, before he was God with us, before he was God in the flesh. Obviously, he existed. He is God. He is eternal, right? There's, there's not a time when he wasn't. Uh, and John 1 talks about him in the beginning. He was the Word. He's always been there. He's In fact, he's the creator God. Hebrews 1 talks about that as well. But there seems to be this idea in the first century world where they said, well, maybe Jesus is just an angel. Maybe he's just a messenger, one of God's servants. Now, this is kind of key for our study this morning because if... The Jewish Christians can say Jesus was just an angel. That takes all the heat off of them. Because an angel is not worth dying for. And an angel shouldn't be worshipped. Right? So if Jesus is just an angel, even if he's the, the highest archangel, you don't have to worship him and you shouldn't die for him. Every Jew would believe that. They were familiar with angels. Um, this um, group of people... Israel's history is littered with God sending angels as messengers and as servants to help them, to send them messages, things like that. And so they are familiar with angels. And so if they can believe that Jesus was just another angel, even if he's the mightiest, strongest angel in God's legion of angels, if they can just believe that, he's not worth dying for and he's not worth worshiping. 
And so that seems to be what our Hebrew writer is trying to get across to us this morning. That seems to be the situation that he's dealing with, at least. Uh, There's some folks in this congregation that are buying into this. And so he combats it. He's already started in verse 1, right? Uh, He is God. He is 100% God. Don't make any... Don't think that he's any even 1% less God than the Father, than the Holy Spirit. He is 100% God. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the sunbeams that come off of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of his nature, right? And so he's, he's already started. If you would just had 1 through 3, if you just had Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, you would already be convinced that Jesus is God. But he's not done yet. He's going to do something called a string of pearls um, or a chain of quotations is, is really what it is. And he's going to bring out for us seven Old Testament passages. Jason was right on when he said this is Old Testament day. Hello, Hebrews. This guy, the author, loves the Old Testament. He is steeped in it. And he's writing to people who are steeped in it and who know it very well. And so he's going to try to show you you know the Old Testament really well. He's like, okay, me too. Jesus has been in here the entire time. And God the Father has said some things about Jesus in the Old Testament that prove that he is God 100%. And he's going to provide for us seven proofs, seven Old Testament quotations. We're going to look up very quickly today. He does seven because it's the perfect number. He's giving seven quotations. It's like he might as well give a thousand, and he could give a thousand, but he's given seven. It's representative for us, uh, and he, his goal here is just to overwhelm us with Scripture to help us come to the conclusion: Jesus is not an angel; he is God. So let's look here in Hebrews chapter one. Let's start in uh, verse three, and we'll just read through this first quotation. He is, being Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So right off the bat, Jesus is not an angel. His name is superior to theirs. His name is greater than theirs. And next the Hebrew writer is going to say, Something very much like, remind me, which, which one of the angels did God say this to? Was it, was it, was it Michael? I forget. You know, you can kind of see uh, the Hebrew writer being a little cheeky here. Right? <laughs> which one of the angels did, did God say this to? Today, uh, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Remind me, Hebrew readers, you know the Old Testament very well. Remind me, which one of the angels did he say that to? He didn't say it to any angel. Flip back over to Psalm chapter 2. If you're writing your Bibles, you're going to want to hold your finger in Hebrews chapter 1. But right beside, you are my son, today I have, forgot, today I have begotten you in verse 5. Write Psalm 2 verse 7. That's where the quotation comes from. If you're not familiar with this psalm, it is beautiful. Uh, it stands as one of the twin doors that open up the book of Psalms to us. Psalm 1 and 2 open up the book of Psalms to us. And they set the scene for what's going to happen. The righteous man, God will bless. Here comes the righteous man in Psalm 2. The Old Testament, he is Israel's king. He's Israel's leader. They never see this psalm fulfilled during their lifetime, though. Listen to what he says here, Psalm 2. 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against Yahweh, and against his anointed, against the king, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So that's what the, that's what the nations are wanting to do. They're wanting to break these, these bonds um, that, that God and his anointed have set on them. In verse 4, though, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He doesn't care that they're trying to break apart their bonds because he is Yahweh. He is the sovereign over all the earth. Then he will speak to them in verse 5 in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. Here it is. Verse 7. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In the first century, the Jewish people looked around and they said, This promise is still to come. We haven't haven't assumed this promise yet. It hasn't happened. Uh, Israel has not, Israel's king has not broken. Um, all, all the nations as of yet. And so the Christians looked at that and said, he has, <laughs> he has. Uh, the quotation uh, from Daniel that Jer- uh, Jason read this morning is talking about the church. And when that happened, after Jesus' death, the church came into being. All peoples from all nations came into the church and it broke everything else. And now there's one kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. And so, as the first century Christians looked back, especially the first century Jewish Christians, looked back on Psalm 2, they said, He has. He's done this. It's been fulfilled. It's fulfilled inside of Christ. The Hebrew writer takes this, that everyone in the first century, every Jewish Christian, certainly most Gentiles Christians, would have understood. He takes this quotation. He says, It's fulfilled inside of Christ because what angel did God ever say to, Today you're my son? I've begotten you today. He didn't say that to his son. He said it to the Messiah. And so who's the Messiah? The Christ, Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth. So Psalm 2, is a, uh, Hebrews 1.5 is a quotation from Psalm 2, verse 7. And it's about Jesus' sonship. He, he, he is, uh, it's another way of saying he's the exact imprint of God's nature. He is the Son of God. He is God Himself. Verse 6, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. And again, so He's not done, right? He says, or again, I will be to Him a Father, and He shall be to me a Son. So where's that from? You've got to go all the way back to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7 to find this passage. This is not the only time this, passage, uh, this verse is used uh, in the New Testament even. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Verse 14 is where the quotation comes from. If you, if you mark in your scriptures, you may want to note that back in Hebrews chapter 1. This passage is, is really incredible. And if you love history, this is a pivotal point in history. So you may want to go back through and read 2 Samuel chapter 7 today at some point. I'm going to give you homework too, uh, for Deuteronomy 32 as well in the next one. But 2 Samuel chapter 7 is just really interesting. David is king at this point. He has built his own house uh, his palace has been built. It's opulent. It's nice. And he kind of looks around and he sees God's um, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence dwelling in a tabernacle still, just like it has uh, since, uh, since Moses' day. 
And he says, well, that's not right. I dwell in a nice house. I live in a nice house. God's presence should also live in a nice house. And so he starts making preparations to build the temple. And he's talking it over with Dathan, apparently the prophet who's going to figure prominently in David's life. And he says, I've got these plans to build God a temple, to build God a house where his presence can live and honor, uh, where all of the nations can, can honor God because of this, this, this building that we've built. And Nathan says, great idea. Go get them. You know, go do it. Go all, do all that your heart uh, wants to do. But that night, God comes to Nathan in a dream. He says, it's not for David to build my house. It's going to be one of his sons that builds my house. Solomon builds the temple. But God is talking more about more than just the temple. Listen, listen to what he says here in, uh, starting in verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, he's talking to David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He's talking about Solomon, but he's also talking about Jesus, Right? He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So he's talking about Solomon, but the forever part indicates that he's talking about Jesus. Listen to what he says here in verse 14. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So the Hebrew writer co-ops this passage from 2 Samuel 7, and he says he's talking about Jesus there. What angel did he ever call son? It's interesting here that he uses these, these two passages to really prove the same point. Jesus is God's son, and he's been talking about it since the very beginning. He's been claiming Jesus is his son, is his, the exact imprint, is a stamp of his nature since the very beginning. So if you're thinking about going back into Judaism or even maybe less of a compromise than that, if you're a stalwart Christian and you're thinking, I'm not going back into Judaism. There's no power there. But this whole idea that I've heard recently about Jesus maybe just being an angel, there seems to be some validity there because in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord comes in and maybe that's, maybe that's Jesus before he was in incarnation. And so maybe he is just an angel. And so if you're struggling to make that concession in the first century, the Hebrew writer won't have any of it. He says he is God's son. He is the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of his glory. But he's not done even then. In verse 6, he says, and again, in Hebrews 1, 6, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world. Now, that's a little confusing, right? Because when, at what point is the Hebrew writer talking about that God brought the firstborn into the world? He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about Jesus' resurrection here. Um, at that point, he says, let all God's, angel, let all God's angels Worship him. Make a little note right here. Deuteronomy 32. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Now, if you're not familiar with Deuteronomy, most of us aren't, right? Because we're not great at Old Testament stuff. We're going to have to get better at it. Because Hebrews is just riddled with Old Testament uh, references that we have to understand to be able to, to plunge the depths of this incredible book. Deuteronomy 32 is Moses' final words. Moses is going to die on top of a mountain right after he says these words. It's his parting command to Israel. And the idea here is you 
Worship God. You stay faithful to Him, and He will bless you. If you're righteous, He will stick with you. That's something the Hebrew writers, the Hebrew readers needed to remember, right? You stay righteous, you stay with Him, and He'll stay with you. They needed to get a hold of that point. Moses was telling Israel that 1,400 years before Jesus was born. So he co-ops this verse here in Deuteronomy 32, and, and he says, let's just read it, 43, in Deuteronomy 40, uh, 32, verse 43, at the end of uh, Moses' commands, you stay with God, he'll stick with you, but if you, if you walk away from God, there's going to be punishment uh, to Israel 1,400 years before Jesus was in the incarnation, before he was born in flesh, he's, Moses says, you stick with God, he'll stick with you. You be faithful to him, he'll be faithful to you. That's something the Hebrew readers needed to hear. It's something we need to hear too, isn't it? We be faithful to him, he'll be faithful to us. He is powerful and he can come through on all those promises he's made to you. He is worthy of your trust. Sacrifice whatever you have to, to stay with him. Something we need to hear. Something they needed to hear. But then on the other side in Deuteronomy 32, Moses also says, if you're, if you're going to walk away from him, there's going to be punishment. There's going to be condemnation. You're going to fail. It's going to be hard. Something we need to hear. Something they needed to remember too. Toward the end of Moses' thoughts, his last words are here in verse 43. He says, Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. One of, the trans, or one of the manuscripts has angels right here in this section. And that's the one that our Hebrew writer uh, uses. It's called the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so he has Moses here saying, Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all angels. Your translation probably says gods. Mine does. But the Hebrew, the Hebrew uh, author is, is using the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So his, section, his, his verse here says... Angels, And so he has for us here in verse 6, let all God's angels worship him. So if the angels are worshiping, who is he not? Well, he's not a human and he's not an angel because angels don't worship other angels. He's building a, 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 a logical argument here. Jesus is not an angel. Don't think that he's an angel. He's more than an angel. He is someone that you can trust, someone worth dying for, someone worth sacrificing everything for. Verse 7, he says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. That's found in Psalm 104, verse 4. We're not going there. Um, I don't think we have to go there because he makes this comparison here between the angels and the sun. So who are the angels? What are the angels' job? Well, he makes them winds and he ministers a flame of fire. So these guys are servants. They have a servant's role. They do things. They're, they're, they're obedient. They follow God's commands. He do, they do what he asks them to do. Uh, so that's what they do. So just beside verse 7, right, uh, Psalm 104, verse 4, that's where the quotation comes from. But the idea is they're servants. But the sun, in verse 8, he says, the sun, 
He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So that's from Psalm 45, uh, verses 6 through 7. Psalm 45, verses 6 through 7. This is another one that uh, the first century Christians understood as as messianic. Uh, It's a psalm written um, by the sons of Korah. You see that in the superscription there right above uh, the psalm. But if you scan down to verses 6 and 7, something interesting happens. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever the scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of our brightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And here's the interesting part. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Therefore, God, he's talking to Yahweh. Yahweh has anointed you. He's not an angel, is he? He's God. 100% free and clear. No doubts about it. He is God. And so the Hebrew writer co-ops that verse. He says, angels are just servants. But the son, he is ruler. He is sovereign. He is king. In fact, he even talks about a scepter here. He talks about the scepter of your kingdom, indicating to us that he is a ruler. But even beyond that, he's not just lowercase k, king. He is the king of kings. He's God. And he's been anointed with the oil of gladness even beyond all of his companions. He's not the first among equals. He is the first. God. Verse 10, coming down on the close of these last two. Uh, Hebrews 1, verse 10, he says, And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will have no end. It comes from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. The idea he's trying to get across to you here is he is the son, the one that, that everything revolves around, the one that you're giving your life for. He is eternal. Everything else he created, and he will roll it up one day. He'll, he'll destroy it all one day. But he, he's outside of all that. He is eternal. You can't get to him. If you want to hurt him, you can't get to him. The Jews can't get to him. The Romans won't be able to get to him. He sits enthroned in majesty right next to the Father's right hand. He is king and he is eternal. He is God. Verse 13, the closing um, quotation from the Old Testament. uh, The author has said everything he needs to say except this last little bit here. And he says in verse 13, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Again, he comes back to this idea, Remind me, Jews, um, which, which angel did, did God ever say that to? Which one is he going to make everything a footstool for? This, uh, this is the idea of subjection. Which of the angels is he going to put in charge of everything? Remind me, which, where's, where's that? Is it in Isaiah? You, know, you kind of see the Hebrew writers, uh, he, he's, a, he's almost fed up or he's being sarcastic or something here is going on. And he says, oh, which of the angels did God ever say that to? Well, 
Psalm 110, verse 1, is where this psalm comes from, or where this, this thought, this quotation comes from. Psalm 110, verse 1, another messianic psalm. He says it's Jesus. Jesus is not just eternal. He's not just God. He is also ruler over everything. He is 100% in charge. As opposed to the angels here in verse, verse, four, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? He says they serve you. The angels serve you, but you serve the Son. And whatever, this thought keeps coming back up, doesn't it? Whatever you have to give up, whatever you have to sacrifice to be close to Him, it's worth it. If it's your family, if it's your job, if it's all your passions, if it's your life, it's worth whatever you have to give up to stay close to Him. And so we start thinking about priorities, don't we? We start thinking about things we love. We start thinking about things that get in our way of being close to him. And the Hebrew writer would encourage us, throw all that stuff in the fire. It doesn't matter. It's going to be burned up one day anyhow. You focus on what's really important. You focus on the ruler, the sovereign, the one who is God. And you get everything else out of the way. So where are you at this morning? Are there things in your way that need to be removed so that you can follow him? Are you convinced by this point from what the Hebrew writer has told us that he's God? If you are, remember what happens in Mark. We studied through Mark just a few months ago. If you're convinced that he is God, then what? You've got some decisions to make. If he's God, he's worth giving over everything for If you're convinced he's God and you're ready to make some decisions in your life that will affect the rest of your life, if you've counted the cost of following him and are aware of what it's going to cost you, all the sacrifices you're going to have to make, and you're ready to do that, we want to aid you in that. You can be baptized into Christ, have your sins washed away, be added to his kingdom and the family here. If you've already made that decision this morning and you just need the prayers of this congregation to get priorities correct, Uh, to make sure that you're focusing on the right things, to make sure you're thinking the right ways. We want to aid you in whatever way we can. If you have any need, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Good morning, church family. Of course, great lesson, brother. Appreciate you. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card in the pew in front of you um, and hand it to a member next to you so we have an opportunity to talk to you and uh, get to know you a little bit better, we'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, a couple of great activities going on uh, here at Rome. Uh, Tuesday's a big day. Um, we have Young at Heart at 10.30, so if you're wanting to go to that, there's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board. We're heading to Bob Evans in uh, Huntington, and that starts at 10.30, Young at Heart, so if you want to go, please sign up. And also, uh, all ladies, there is a Tuesday morning Bible class uh, for all the ladies at 10 o'clock. I do encourage you to come to that as well, uh, dig into God's Word. Um, also, a truck or treat is this Saturday. Um, looking forward to that. Um, it is tentative right now due to weather. Uh, I looked on the weather app a few minutes ago. It's not supposed to rain, which is great because um, everything's done outside. It will be out here in this back parking lot from eight. From sorry, from six to eight. Um, and if you can help out, pass candy out to the little kiddos. That would be great, and we'd love to have you there. And uh, and to see all the little kids dressed up is the cutest thing in the world. So I'd uh, love to have you there. Um, also, uh, today is the last day for middle school and high school kids to sign up for Rush. Uh, we're heading to Freed Hardman uh, for a youth rally. Uh, if, you're, if you have a middle school or high school student who's wanting to go to that, please sign up today. Today's the last day to sign up. Uh, I need to make accommodations uh, for the hotel room uh, for that. So please sign up if you're planning on going. Also, don't forget the third Sunday singing is uh, tonight at 6 o'clock. There's a, a board out there in the foyer. Please write down your favorite hymn and also your um, and a page number as well. Um, also, updates on our prayers. Uh, it's good to see uh, Tanya Ward back home. Uh, she, had, uh, she donated her kidney, and, um, but uh, it's good to see Brian here as well. And um, so it's great to have her back home. Also, remember, continue to keep Eric Blake in your prayers. He's continuing fighting COVID at this time. He's at the VA hospital, uh, but he is improving, so that's great news that God's hearing our prayers on his behalf. Uh, remember, continue to keep Kelly Williams in your prayers. Uh, she will have radiation at the end of the month, 
Uh, so Mary continued to keep her in her prayers. And uh, uh, Mary continued to keep um, Hank Picklesheimer's at requested prayers for his brother, uh, Francis uh, Leroy, who had surgery on Tuesday for stomach cancer. So, but it's great to see Hank here with us uh, this morning. But Mary continued to keep his brother in your prayers. Um, also, uh, Myra Hayes Bowling is Joe Galloway's niece, and um, uh, she has asked for uh, the family's asked for prayers at this time. Uh, uh, Myra has had has cancer and it's spreading, and hospice has been called. So remember uh, the, the Galloway family in your prayers, and also the Bowling family in your prayers at this time as they as they deal with that. Also, we extend our sympathy to Becky Maxwell. Um, her husband uh, passed away uh, this morning at uh, 158. So remember, continue to keep uh, uh, Becky and that the Maxwell family in your, in your prayers. Maybe send a card of encouragement. Kirk uh, was his, his name, but he passed away uh, this morning. So remember to continue to keep them in your prayers. That's all the announcements I have this morning. Uh, looking forward to seeing everybody again at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 236. 236. We'll sing the first and the second verse. And then Brother Jeremy will have our prayer. 236. His yoke is easy. I found my Lord and he is mine. He won me by his love. Father, we're truly thankful for all that you give us. We're thankful for uh, the facility that we have here, the opportunity that we have uh, to come and worship, and the freedom that we have to do that. We're thankful, Father, for, uh, for all those here who, who assemble that we care about. There are many that we are concerned about, Father, who could not be here this morning, many who we are concerned about who, who chose not to be here this morning. We pray, Father, for, for them as well. Help us, Father, to be an encouragement where we can. Help us to take advantage of the opportunities that you give us uh, each day to, to help those around us, to bring them to you, to encourage them any way we can. We're thankful, Father, for, uh, for your son, for all that he's done for us. 
And we're thankful that we were able to pause to remember him this morning. We pray that you help us to remember him each day. Help us to remember his sacrifice and his love for us. And help us to reflect that in our lives. Continue to bless each of us, Father, as we leave here. Uh, just help us to, to go out into the world, uh, back to our homes, to our jobs, to, uh, to school, to our community, Father, and help us to, uh, to be a reflection of you and your love and your son. Uh, just continue to guide our lives, Father. Bless the many that we're here, concerned about many who are struggling, many who are hurting, who are grieving. And bless each of us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.